everybody, and welcome to a Movie Mumble special episode. Special episode. And this special episode... Special. Yeah. <laughs> 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 what did I say? Before we started, I said I was going to say it a lot, and then you all missed the second one. Anyway, oh. take two. this particular <laughs> episode... Particular. Damn it. <laughs> oh, man. Surrounded. We are, we are off to a great start already. Surrounded. By cackling idiots, uh, cackling idiots, chuckle fucks, which is a good good place to be, actually. Wait, did you pause it for the recording? No, it's it? it's oh, going. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I um, it overloaded. So anyway, this particular movie mumble particular is, movie. I did not use the word episode. <laughs> is, episode is in fact a very special episode. Special episode because it's our first. Should I say theatrical feature where we all went and saw a film in the theater? Oh, that's true. And then yeah. recorded. This is uh, the next day, the day after. Yeah. Uh, the film we saw is The Disaster Artist. This is our second podcast for The Room, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We did a special episode. Special <laughs> episode. <laughs> earlier. You know, I was going to just keep talking, and then Tim moved, and I was like, yes. He had it. He had it. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yes. Uh, th- this is our second special episode. Special episode. For The Room because of The Disaster Artist. Hearing about the disaster artist is what spurred us to watch the room in the first place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We watched it. We did a podcast about that. Hopefully, you've listened to it already. And then the disaster artist came out, and we watched it. And now here we are podcasting about it. Woo-hoo. Yeah. Um, we were talking the other night. We were very happy that we saw the room first. Yeah, for sure. And um, for those of you who may have found this and don't know what movie mumble is. Go find a regular episode, I'll say. <laughs> uh, but Scott's not going to read out our... Not, <laughs> not the full intro, but basically we all watch a movie and then talk about it, and that's it. Just three friends. Three friends. Three, three, three friends. Three so best friends that anyone can have. We make constant insufferable references to the things they love yep. that are not to do with the movie. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes if we're if we're just particularly bored, we're talking about the movie. <laughs> no, anyway, so we saw The Disaster Artist. The Disaster Artist is a film... That shares the title with a book about the making of the room. The book was written by Greg Sestero, yep. I believe, mm-hmm. who was in, in the room, Tommy's friend. And now the film was produced, put together by. Uh, I don't have my laptop, so I can't look up the details. But James Franco, Seth Rogen, it's 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 a big real Hollywood movie. It's, it's a big <laughs> actual docudrama, sort of yeah. uh, production of. It's actually. I guess I can't say docudrama because it doesn't use real footage it's just but it's it's a dramatization based on real events okay sure mm-hmm. about the making of the room and and it's fantastic it is outstanding in every way so good the people of you who've seen the room and know that it's i mean i'll say poorly made <laughs> but we've talked before about how it's got its own quality the disaster artist is not they did not attempt to homage you know the room by getting one camera and some dude with a you know it's a completely polished, fully finished, professional grade Hollywood movie. Real Hollywood um, movie. Yes, real Hollywood movie. Just like this is a real, a real American podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's it's just phenomenally well made. <laughs> wow, Do it just again. got Do that. It again. He's just spot on. Yes. <laughs> If you don't know what the room is or haven't seen the room, you can go watch the Disaster Artist. It'll they'll they'll explain. <laughs> but we'd recommend you watch the room first. Yeah, you get sure. a lot more out of it. So, Joel, 
you are the one of us who least likes the room, <laughs> and you seem most excited about the disaster artist. You even brought notes. I time. did. I, I'm, I'm awfully prepared. Um, those of you following us on Instagram could probably see that I'm going to post it up later what my notes were saying. Um, I came out of this film and I said a phrase I never thought I would utter that now I want to rewatch ah. the room. <laughs> and that that's how good the film was. That's yeah. that's what it inspired in me. It's like, okay, mm -hmm. this this really captured that behind the scenes thing that I was missing from it. Like that's mm -hmm. that's the other piece of the puzzle that I wanted and they just fucking delivered. Yeah. Well, that's right cuz after the the room you were pretty much like how and why and <laughs> what the fuck, you know? And that was like, oh, this is how the fuck. Okay. <laughs> The the other the other high praise you gave it I don't know if you remember but this really stuck out when you were saying um, I don't want to give it away but like what you were able to forget about for two hours oh yeah, <laughs> yeah I came out of the film and I said I oh. forgot Star Wars is coming out uh, tomorrow context <laughs> for that is yes as of now Star Wars is releasing tomorrow yeah. episode eight the Last Jedi and I've been freaking out mm -hmm. I I was g grateful to have the disaster artist to look forward to to temper my Star Wars fandom because mm -hmm. with that I'd be okay. losing my mind otherwise you'd be speaking in Star Wars quotes at work all day. Uh, at, uh, More than usual. <laughs> More <laughs> than <laughs> usual. <laughs> I mean, you know. So. Yup, nub. <laughs> That's right. Oh Kumar's gosh. speech just happened. I gotta say, I, I, I think I said something similar when we watched The Room, but the disaster artist really hammered it home that the journey of the film itself, of The Room itself, is a great representation of real life. Because, you know, it was set out to be a, a, you know, serious Academy Award contending drama. And instead, it's one of the most beloved cult comedy films yeah. ever. And it seems like Tommy has really embraced that from the little we glean yeah. from, from the disaster artist, including actual information about the real Tommy, yeah. you know, etc. And that's just... It's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing to see because he could have been just horribly sad and disappointed, which it would seem he was for a time, but this was not mm -hmm. what you wanted. This was not what you set out for. He put in work and money and a piece of your soul into something like we do into many aspects of our lives, and it came out the opposite of what he wanted, mm -hmm. but it came out, it still had its value, yeah. and and he saw, he saw that, and so he embraced it. It's a beautiful thing. That's, yeah. that's wonderful. Isn't that what we all exactly. want out of our lives? To see the beauty that has come of it. And that's the which, which will come. I'm sorry, Joel. No, but I, mm. Whether you want it to or not. At the end of our lives, at any point in our lives, you have a certain amount of beauty in every life. It's not always what you wanted, but it's there. Finding that and embracing that is it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, the story Wise wanted to tell is his own freaking story and it did it took somebody else <laughs> making the film about him making his own film to get that mm -hmm. out like that's that's the narrative that I, I got this is what made me get the room mm -hmm. is watching this film it's like this this is why people keep coming back to it and like the the mystique around it for sure um, that's kind of how I'm feeling mm -hmm. it, it th one of the thoughts I had coming out of it was it, it almost reminded me um <clears throat> years ago I had a real love-hate relationship with the movie uh, Mr. Holland's Opus and it kind of reminded me of that a little bit where you know uh, it was when I was about to go off to college you know to, to get a degree in composition 
and here's this film about this guy who wanted to be a composer and ended up being stuck in a music teaching job and you know the moral of the story for that one at least is supposed to be like oh but look all these people he touched and he got to hear his you know his symphony performed at the very end and it was like yeah you get to hear one thing performed and it wasn't even that good like well how about, <laughs> you know and but but it had that sort of like um <laughs> if you want you know to be kind of pessimistic a kind of like well okay i'll, I'll settle for this like i couldn't Stay have lane, yeah like i couldn't have what i really wanted out of life but at least you know yeah i made some people happy and it kind of worked so i'll embrace that you know even though it's not what i wanted at least it, it could be worse you know it could be you know like like you know like with with the room like people could have just hated it and it could have just drifted off into obscurity but mm -hmm. like people still loved it you know and and that's something i've thought a lot about with art you know uh, as a young artist and composer it's like you feel like you want everyone to get you you want everyone to see what you're putting into it and you know after a while you can realize it's not about that it's about people seeing what they're going to see from it you know and and that was the cool thing about watching the room. I feel like, you know, the three of us had three very different views on a lot of things. And it's like, you know, that's kind of the idea. Again, it wasn't what he intended. He wanted you to see his life. And I feel like feel sorry for him, but think, wow, he's this great guy. And he was so great to everyone around him and helped everyone. And he was betrayed by everyone who was close to him. And, you know, you do kind of get that. But you also, I don't know, they're probably like, yeah, there is like the humor. There's the sort of like, um, you know, when you start to pick the movie apart, like, not just like the the narrative of it but like yeah the the, the process of of making the film or like well wh why is there the part about the breast cancer let me try to read into that let me make my own reasoning for why that was there <laughs> you know the, besides just being a, a twist you know um and uh yeah so i mean i think i guess that's part of it is like you know if you can create something you know, you, you can't be married to how you want people to see it. You know, you have to create the, 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 your truest idea of what it is going to be, which is what he did. And then he sort of, you release it to the world. You know, you let them see what they're going to see in it. And, and that's, that's the best you can hope for, I think. It's one of the greatest examples of the death of the artist, like yeah. instantly. It's that mm -hmm. this is how he presented it and this was his desire. Yeah. It was read in a completely different way mm -hmm. to its success. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, to come back to the way you have to sort of embrace the things that happen, it reminds me of a quote from the Avatar TV series from Uncle Iroh about life happens wherever you are, whether you make it or not. And similarly about something I learned recently while talking to my mom, actually, about how you have to sort of, you have to take the, take the power to make your life wherever you are. Um, she was talking about when when I was very little and we moved across the country and away from all the parents, family, and mm -hmm. friends and everything, but how, you know, how she could have, and I, I may have misinterpreted here, sorry mom if that, that's the case, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I you could have just been all sad about, oh, well, I was looking forward to this future, raising my kids with my siblings' kids and our families and friends, and but instead, it was like, okay, well, we're here now, and, you know, you have to sort of dive aggressively into, okay, now this is my life. Not, mm -hmm. not to sort of, you know, reach for what you left behind. And, and she was talking about how she's come out with a lot of great experiences, a lot of great people that we've met, other children mm -hmm. to raise me with, and lots of friends and family and neighbors and good people. And, and you know, family in terms of not blood family. They were still on the East Coast. But, you know, whereas we were talking about how if, if they had never moved, 
you know you you that she would not have been sad for the future that would have been in California because she wouldn't have known it existed right right and in that way if you do move you can't be sad for the future that didn't happen that you were imagining that might have happened right. because it doesn't exist either it's just that knowledge sort of spoils us you know and you you sort of have to choose to, to say I was talking about colleges I think it was that if I chose a different college mm-hmm. I probably wouldn't be sitting around right now going oh, damn I never made a podcast <laughs> you know I, <laughs> yeah. I would have other friends I was doing other things with right. we'd all be mini golfing right now who knows <laughs> you know that would be our weekly thing or something and you can't so when you come to decisions or to events that happen to you or what have you you have to sort of have faith that there aren't right and wrong decisions or just just different ones mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and in the case of the room Tommy sort of embraced that and was like oh well he could have said all this was a mistake it was all waste it was all terrible and just he could have just given up on, on all of it but he didn't he looked at it and went no I'm gonna I'm gonna find the find the good in this mm-hmm. you know I'm really interested with that final sequence because we see uh, Dave Franco is great come out and convince Tommy to go back in and see that what he created is inspiring joy and people are really enjoying it and then Tommy like it shifts in his mind that okay this is okay this is what I wanted mm-hmm. not how I wanted it yeah I'd be interested to see if that's actually how that went down or after a certain point Tommy came around to that because he kind of like everything rolls off the back of him like he, he seems to be able to process things pretty right smoothly and make those transitions and nothing really sticks to him mm-hmm. I mean we see him with his jealousy over Greg having a girlfriend and moving out and that whole thing and he he kind of like sits on those things and lets them fester but it, it'd be interesting to see if that transition happened that quickly at the premiere or if it was a couple weeks a couple months right was the way it happened in the film just kind of a metaphor for the overall right. arc of yeah. like you know like even even to now you know like looking at it now where he's popular and, and it's this cult hit like like, was it only recently that he said, oh, hey, like, I'm still popular, even though it wasn't, you know, like you said, for the reason he wanted to be. Yeah. And that, and that was something I remember thinking of at the end. Like, is this a way to kind of make the narrative of the story kind of complete and whole and, and, and stuff like that? And it's, you know, not based on fact, but, but yeah, like sort of symbolic of the journey as a whole. And, um, yeah. Yeah, that was one of the moments. And um, that one and the one with Greg and Brian Cranston that were sort of the only two moments in the entire film that jumped out at me as things they might have condensed or punched up for mm-hmm. the sake of the movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe they were true. I don't know. I haven't read the book. Maybe Judd Apatow's appearance, too. I don't know. I, I feel like that one was entirely added, if only because it, Greg wasn't in the scene. Oh, then again, they could have worked with Tommy, and maybe Tommy was... But, you know, coming from the book, which was written by Greg... Right. I sort of wonder, like, how would Greg have known that? Mm-hmm. Um, how how many people might Tommy have approached in a restaurant, and how many of them were or anybody how re- reliable like and narrator Tommy would have been about mm-hmm. that, etc. Yeah. So I mean, but the other two are the only parts that made me go, "Oh, I bet you there might have been some changes here." Like you said, for the sake of expediency or point making or what have you. But the rest of it didn't have that problem that a lot of based on true event films do, where mm-hmm. I'm sitting there the entire film. You know, that doesn't seem just right going. Mm-hmm. They took a bullet point list of events and made a film. Right. You know, this felt very genuine. 
And again, I don't know if they, they haven't read the book or haven't talked to anybody, but it felt that way mm-hmm. much more than most films of its kind. Mm-hmm. I was wanting to ask you guys what you thought of the Franco's uh, portrayals in this, like, because I I was thoroughly impressed with both of them. Yeah, mm-hmm. James was born to play this guy, yeah. <laughs> and. Dave is an incredible actor, and to play the straight man to your brother, who's this eccentric filmmaker, yeah. playing another eccentric filmmaker, like yeah. I feel like maybe it wasn't that difficult for him to roll into that part because this is his life. But like, yeah. I always forget how good Dave is. And yeah, stuff. he kind of gets overshadowed by James, I, I, mm-hmm. or just the weirdness that mm-hmm. floats around him. But right, yeah, I, th- I thought it was. Um it was cool because yeah like when you see them normally like how similar they look but how much that was kind of washed away and how much they kind of like lost themselves in their characters you oh, know yeah. like like even Dave I feel like he probably doesn't get as much credit for for like doing that role as, as much as James would because of how much of a different transformation it was but like you know that like how seeing how timid he was as an actor at first yeah. and, you know and kind of getting into it and seeing that that struggle between like you know him you know, wanting to be friends with him, but also still wanting to be an actor. That whole, like, that whole Brian Cranston moment yeah. where, you know, he has to make the choice between doing Tommy's movie and having an experience which could, like, launch his career. Um, like, I th- all of that I thought was, like, really, like, like wow. Like, that's, you know, I, I feel like you kind of look, you know, assume that, that, that Tommy's kind of the center, but it's like, you know, yeah, well, the book was written by Greg, and he is kind of, like, the, the star of the story in in that sense you know mm-hmm. to see him take that that central role and um you know he wasn't just a sidekick i guess is kind of yeah. what i'm trying to say you know like like i feel like if you expect to see the two those two brothers <laughs> two brothers you expect <laughs> to see, the, see those two brothers in a film like you know uh, james franco is batman and dave franco is robin but it was like they were they were way more it was more like superman and batman like they were you know two sides of that same coin and Yes, yeah, so it was really cool to see them like have kind of that equal footing together. Um, it was another film that made me well. It, it, it on its own, it made me go a few times. Oh yeah, these guys are brothers. Mm-hmm. But an- and then I was going to say another film that made me go ah, actors pretending to be actors, or actors pretending to be not so great actors. Right. Like, there's right. so many levels of performance yeah. there too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it all just felt it all felt believable. They, everyone in the film carried a lot of weight because the cast is fairly small. Mm-hmm. But pretty much everyone is really present in some way or other. Even Greg's mom was only present in one scene. You know, there's except for maybe the bank teller, and right. then the restaurant scene. There aren't a lot of people who just show up for a line or two and step out again. There are people who are like here. The room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who's yeah. this guy? There are people who are here, and they're here for a duration, and there's an impact. And every single one of them, even the people I knew were famous other people, like Franco's and Seth Rogen and, and the bank teller, for example, it didn't. It was really easy to lose that in the film and just watch these people, these real people. That's mm-hmm. what's happening to. You know, I have trouble with that in, in certain films, setting aside the actor from the character. Right. And sometimes that can be to the benefit of the film, and sometimes not. But here I had no trouble with that at all mm. I believe James as Tommy mm-hmm. instantly like yeah and the way he's introduced he's from that the shadows that part of the trailer where he comes out and he does Stella mm-hmm. like it's perfect 
And then th- that that sequence where they go to the diner and they're reading that ridiculous play, mm-hmm. and to see the transformation in Greg, yeah, and what Tommy brings out of him, it just that mm-hmm. spark was really really cool. And that's like seeing that was like this is how this guy could make a movie. Yeah, this yeah. this is how people got behind him and wanted to see whatever he made happen. He yeah. he he realized what a lot of people don't often seem to realize that you really need to tap into the human emotion for a performance and that there's great power in that and that was like that scene in the diner like it made it possible for like forget these other people they're not Mm -hmm. here you and me and then he just poured out his own feeling and greg fell off of that and Mm -hmm. boom performance you know acting and and it even (laughs) shows in the room I, we talked about it a bit, especially that last scene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, we could feel that the range. anguish. And, right. You know, so there's there really is something there, for sure. Something worthwhile, even in the traditional, straightforward sense of what Tommy was going for in the first place. And not just something worthwhile in the comedic sense. Mm-hmm. And that was communicated very well in this film. It was actually really nice to see that sort of affirmed, that that emotional core that we had picked out of the room, you know, to see that driving Tommy (laughs) throughout the disaster artist. (laughs) You know, and part of it was, it was almost like watching Romeo and Juliet where you're kind of like, oh, wait a minute, maybe, maybe this will end okay. And I remember like when they first start making the film being like, wow, like he's a, he's a really good director. Like he's really pulling. And then it came for his first time behind the camera. And that's when you're like, oh, no, no, that's right. I know how this is going to end. <laughs> you know, like, and it was like, so it was interesting to see that, you know, uh, that, yeah, it's like, there, there are things that you're good at, but you, yeah, you need to find what those are and work and cultivate. Like, I feel like he, had he just directed the film but not starred in it, it probably would have been a way d- different film, like, well, way better. Then again, maybe we wouldn't be talking about it right now. Yeah. But, like, it was that part where it's like, oh, it's his first time behind the camera. And that's when we get that great scene where it's like, you know, take 69 or whatever. And it's just like, God damn it, why can't you say this line? And, and how, how he was able to organize everything. You know, I mean, granted, he had that money to just dump into it. Right. And that's part of how it happened. But, but, I mean, you know, he wanted to be legit. Like, he hired the crew. He got everyone together. Okay, we need this person. Okay, you know, and when, when Greg was kind of, you know, struggling with his scene – he really like pulled a good performance out of him and it was like wow like this is gonna be okay this is working and then it was just like uh, yeah i don't know if it was either like too much or just the fact that it's like yeah like you have this raw energy but like if i guess maybe if you're making a film there has to be a way to refine it somehow and, and they weren't able to to refine and contain him you know like and the, you know the scene when they're trying to do the 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 you know um, oh yeah, you know this. You know, girl was with twelve guys, and one of them find out. Now she's in the hospital. <laughs> what a story, Mark! And it was just like, like uh, you know, the, the, one of the things the film did well is it it answered a lot, or it asked the same questions exactly. that we were asking. Exactly. Like, why the fuck is he laughing at that? Like, how? Like, what? That's and that not was supposed to be funny. <laughs> like, yeah, and it's like so. So things. And it, it reminds me of the the conversation we had with, with John about George Lucas earlier today. Like, <laughs> someone needed to tell him no. <laughs> this is not what no, we are changing this. Exactly. This is stupid. And 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 that I think was what the downfall was was that he he had so many he had some really great ideas. He had even some really great execution, but there was no one to say like, "Okay, wait, no. This is where you're going over the line." And when we were, he would say, oh, "Okay, you're right. Like that right. I I shouldn't laugh at that. We should do something else." Right. And it was I feel like little like that's when the cracks started to appear. 
you know, and you're like, that's mm. why, okay. Something <laughs> just clicked for me, but during the film, so I was, I've said before that Greg was our Watson to Tommy's Holmes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in that he's the normal person who we see via Oh, yeah, yeah, I like eyes. that, yeah. But once the filming begins, we hit a certain point during the production when that stops, when Tommy's thoughts and relationship, or Greg's thoughts and relationship with Tommy become his own in his head. And you can sort of see it on his face, the thoughts, there's stuff going on in there, but we stop seeing it laid out for us. That's when we start seeing through the eyes of the film crew instead. Oh, okay. When they become us. Mm. And Greg remains just a little distant after that from the audience, I think. But um, touching on our overarching theme about different paths to the same result, when Tommy's trying to do that line, it's a scene where where Tommy tries to say his line, he can't say his line, and they take a billion tries. <laughs> that sort of thing happens in regular film productions, not typically because one actor loses a line, but because one actor loses a line, then the next take someone else loses a line, right. then a piece of scenery falls, then a lamp boils over, then something, you know, light burns out, etc., etc. Or sometimes it just doesn't click, and they do it again and again and again. And at the end, everyone's exhausted, the scene ends, they cut, and there's that sort of everyone looks at each other, sort of breathless because that, that spark just sweeps through the room and they all go, yeah, we got it. Everybody cheers. They got that in the room <laughs> with <laughs> yeah. that scene. Yeah. <laughs> it, again, it, it happened because it was so bad <laughs> instead of so okay or good. But it was the same elation. Hmm. Do you right. know? Yeah, Visibly, we, we got it. it. indistinguishable. Yeah. Yeah. They went, oh my god, everyone cheered and clapped and yelled. And, and you know, in this case, it was relief at being able to go home. But <laughs> it was still relief and accomplishment of we did it Mm -hmm. back to what you were saying Tim about them asking the questions we asked Yeah, I love that the first line that the actress who plays the mom says is does this ever come back about the breast cancer do we ever I was like I almost stood up I was like this is exact this is my character this is me in the film perfect (laughs) and that's the thing like it's it's really cool to see through the produ- stages of productions, all the questions that we asked were mm-hmm. asked, and it was just pile drove through anyway. Right? Yeah, there were there were no answers. There's yeah. <laughs> there's something satisfying about like having it be unanswered for them too. Right? right. Like yeah, there wasn't this secret thing that they've kept from us. It's right. just this is what Tommy said. Yeah. And this is this is how it went. Yeah. This is what we're doing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Why is he fucking your belly button? <laughs> and when, when, when they're watching, and the the sequence is so long, mm-hmm. and the actress who's playing oh, Lisa yeah, yeah. says, "It's still going." Yes, it, it was like perfect, <sighs> just just outstanding, capturing how it felt to watch the film, even from the perspective of the people in it. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's this like sphinx-like enigma of a film to even the people participating in it. Right. This vortex of yeah. no sense-making. I wish I could say that's happened to me on occasion from inside something I've been a part of. But I, I don't... I think the closest we've come is a couple piece, weird pieces of music I played in high school band that from within the band as a player with my one part I don't... I often lack a sense of the complete piece that I have to go sit down without playing and just listen to it, you know. But my parents will get it on concerts, or I might get it to them record something. Mm-hmm. That's just that's of the nature of my my nature as a as a performer. 
that the focus was on my part, and I kind of always told the whole thing in my mind like that, especially right. especially with music in particular. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there were a couple of weirder tunes that we were told was like, oh yeah, all these effects are gonna come together to make this cool sound thing happen for the audience. And afterwards, I get back into the car, and you know, mom goes, oh, okay, performance. Goes, so that one piece, what was that? And I go, mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's clear to me that we had a miniature balloon. <laughs> you know, something mm-hmm. was supposed to happen here. <laughs> and I don't know what it was. But I'm trying to think on a larger scale, or particularly in the theater, and I I don't know. I don't think I can. Because everything that I've worked on is just, it's presented more coherently. Yeah. Well, yeah, like theater, you're you're going to perform it, you know, linearly. Mm. Whereas, like, with film, when you're, you know, oh, we're shooting the last scene first, so it's like, this is all this stuff, yeah, like you said, you have to keep in your head going mm. into this scene. But you did just click for me another mini example is just the, the whole stage effect while sh- went on stage because all we can see is there's this house and this piece is painted some weird color and then the light cues come up and then halfway through this scene they add another blue light from that lamp in the corner like mm-hmm. and we have no clue what the hell is going on but when you sit in the audience you get this beautiful set and light and right. you know, the light comes on and it's the moonlight coming out from behind the cloud and, and it works in a way that only works from the house from the seats right it does not work from on stage or backstage mm-hmm. or anywhere else because that's sort of the, the targeted nature of theater I suppose that on a much larger scale yeah <laughs> you know? um, I think one of my more memorable examples is the beginning of I think it was a sound of music yes opens with a bunch of nuns and they're holding candles and they're singing at the the, the monastery or whatever it is convent, convent sure where whatever they call it in the film you know and they had a bunch of us crew in the back dressed in essentially ninja outfits with candles so that they were just sort of floating candles behind them. Mm-hmm. So we're standing there, passing the flame from candle to candle and posing, and we can see everything! The candle light is plentiful! I can see this guy in the weird hand-cut ninja costume next <laughs> to me. Um, but from the friends I had who saw the thing, they could not see us at all. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't believe it. I was just like, no, like... Normally, I'm behind a piece and in the darkness, and I'm still visible if I get exposed. Mm. Here I was, out on stage, holding a light source. Like, how could you not see us? But they, they couldn't. Mm. I never was able to wrap my head around that. Mm. You know, every night we'd go out there in our ninja garb and just stand there, like, with this sort of shaking our heads in our minds, like, <laughs> looking at the audience going... You're looking at me, aren't you? <laughs> and, yeah. and looking for eyes, and no one's looking at us. <laughs> now I really want a sound of music remake with ninjas. Is that, is our, that wrong? our joke was because we're on stage with the nuns, we were ninjas. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with nunchucks. <laughs> but yeah, you know, and it's I think, like you said, Tim, very great, great. Uh, I don't want to say observation, just great point that films aren't even done straight through right. these yeah. So there's more confusion for people yeah. who are involved. To be expected. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this was something else entirely. It was confusion from the performers that equals that of the audience. Yeah. Which doesn't always happen. Mm-hmm. Normally for good reason, but not anymore. You said something, Joel, that I was very glad to hear you say. You said, after we came out of the disaster artist, this made watching the room worthwhile. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Like I said, I, I really want to go back and watch it now. I, I actually today I was online looking at the DVD, con- contemplating <laughs> buying it. Like it, it was, 
Oh, that's why you sent us the link to the Tommy Wiseau watches. Yes, today. there's a line of Tommy Wiseau watches. His watches look pretty nice, actually. <laughs> yeah, they Some do. I yeah. really want ah. one now. Plenty <laughs> of other stuff. Clothes Christmas is coming up, Scott. We'll get each other one. Oh, <laughs> How cool would that be? Wiseaches? Wiseaches. Wiseaches, yeah. How do we combine these two W words? No, I'm I'm really interested to go back and watch it now. I, I again, I never thought I'd say that. Mm-hmm. And I think something that definitely made me want to in the Disaster Artist was the recreation of the scenes because mm-hmm. we they see recreated clips. perfectly. Oh God, so good! Not just in their filming, but they the blocking, the, the blocking, way they played, the lighting, inflection, everything. Mm-hmm. You were about to say, Joel, yeah. that we see at the end. Yeah, we get to see him side by side with the original footage, and it's incredible. And it made me want. We talked about this a little bit because we couldn't couldn't hold it in. Like, did they just reshoot every scene in the room? And if so, where can I buy that? Because I would love yes. to see it. Yeah, like I need a version of that. I need, I need all three versions. I need right. the original and the remake and, and the side, side by, by side. side. Exactly. Yep. And director commentary over the top. Yeah, for if both, for get, all three yeah. versions. If you could get Wizo to be I like, I need, I need Tommy Wizo f- over the room and Franco over their reproduction, and then, and then I need the two of them talking to each other over the side by side. Absolutely. <laughs> and I, I don't know. It, it, it's it's great. Just to see those recreated and just like getting them so precisely right but wrong you know what i'm yeah, saying like yeah. they captured the wrongness completely right you know this was such a such a so much devotion to this work there's a lot of love in disaster mm-hmm. Artist, mm-hmm. and not just to people's names <laughs> that was a long throw sorry i should have said stomach <laughs> navel uh, that, that was that was my <laughs> I got it eventually, so maybe it was worth it. I'm going to cut that pause. It's going to sound a lot better. <laughs> Add in a laugh track. <laughs> but it's going to be your Tommy Wiseau but laugh track. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And I, and I think that's another parallel, too, is that, like, whatever we think of, you know, the room, it was it was a work of love for Tommy, you know, like, mm-hmm. It was, you know, it, it was his life, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, you know, like you hear about a lot, of, a lot of filmmakers who like, um, you know, oh yeah, when me and my friends were kids, we would make a bunch of films and or me and my brothers and sisters, we make films and show them to our parents and this and this and that, you know, this was like him as this grown ass man being like, okay, this is something I've always wanted to do. And he's had, you know, th- those life experiences that he's like pouring into this you know there's there's a there's a degree of naivete because he's never done it before but also a degree of experience because he's he's lived for longer we don't know how long but we know he's not in his 20s when the <laughs> film but was you made. know there is the sense of him having not existed until he arrived in greg's wife <laughs> yeah. in the sense that he's not heard of famous things you know seen any famous movies he doesn't have basic concepts of things like Mr. Like Bean just kind of comes down. Someone with that much money, too, and it's a lot of money implied. I mean, mm-hmm. you spend it on the film, and it was apparently an unnoticeable amount. That just doesn't – he had never thought before that he could take that money and go make a movie with it, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. But he hadn't, apparently. Right. Not until Craig said – 
Let's make a movie. I get the sense that like he lived in some small town in Poland and then just had all this money. I don't know. It's just strange. And he just happens. To, he's almost like this walking Deus Machina. Like yeah. he has an apartment in L.A. that he doesn't use. It's completely paid for. Yeah, he yeah. has all this money in his bottomless account and can pay for everything. Yeah. But Reg, he is. He's this this angel that comes out of the sky and says, "You need to. You want to do your dream, but it's hard because you need to just basically put your head against the wall until you get somewhere." Well, done. Place to live, done. When food to eat, money, done. Do it. Go audition. Just go hit the wall. You know, people can't just show up in L.A. with a place to stay. They need and then auditions to do. They need to find a place, and then they need to get jobs to pay their bills, and then they need to do auditions. You know, via Tommy, Greg is able to slide into that much more smoothly. That's really is, go ahead. Which is why it's so easy to understand his devotion to Tommy especially in the Brian Cranston bit you know his loyalty what he feels with Tommy is you know not just the sense of debt which is certainly there but that even along the way Tommy only ever wanted you know friendship from him right is this disaster artist captures such a like the difficulty of making it in Hollywood because even with this you have a place to stay you have this endless string of money you get an agent right off the bat three years go by and nothing happens for him Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. how difficult that is and it also like within while they're shooting they're talking to the actors and Greg asks the 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 mom why do this you live so far away you already have a a life, you have kids, you've got a husband, you've got all this stuff provided for. Why come out and do this? Why subject? She she just got finished fainting because it was too hot. hot, Mm -hmm. And she just took it as red. It's like the worst day on a movie set is is better than anything else. But like the amount of stuff that they put up with, the girl who plays Lisa is fine with being objectified and uh, shamed for body shamed and Remakeups, like in front of all these other people. Mm-hmm. Paul Shear's character comes back, uh, comes out as like, "You're a dead man. Why are you doing this to this person? That's embarrassing. Yeah. That's terrible of you." And she's like, "I'm a professional. Yeah. I'm okay with this." Yeah, let's it's do this, the scene. This yeah. this bizarre world that these actors the live show in. Show must is go it? on. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's okay. This is not the worst thing that it could be. That they have something more important than themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, the whatever that end result is going to be, the audiences who are going to see it is more important than themselves. And that's something I haven't gotten from any other movie about making movies. You know, there's a little bit of it in Birdman, just the amount of stuff that he, the shit in his life and how he uses that to portray things on stage, and constantly falls short. But in this, it was very clear, like. They're desperate to create this thing, even if the thing isn't the great thing that they're anticipating it to be. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just really was interesting to see that, regard like collapsing under heat stroke, and she's out eating outside and just happy to be there because it's better than anything else. Mm-hmm. I got that a, to a point working in theater. Um, you know, when you have actors who you have accidents that in some cases could have been fatal if things had been slightly different mm-hmm. and they just keep going 
in their performance, like nothing happened, or crew members who come off stage, you know, with their hands bleeding because they got caught in something, and when it went bam, like a car door, they didn't yell or call for medical attention, they just walked their way in back and shut it, and then pulled the piece off one-handed, and made all sorts of motions with no sound, because the show is happening, and it's more important than us, you know? And it's something that I know off podcast I've ranted to you guys about a lot as far as that mentality is not present in a lot of other places in the world. I was just going to say. Like part-time jobs. Yeah, there's, yes. there's no, that passion doesn't really exist anywhere else of creation, right? Like, And it's funny because I, I don't even, I don't even, not passion even, just that's sort of the standard. Like the, if you're here, there is this other thing and you're going to contribute to it. It's a responsibility. And that's gone both ways in my life. I've had cases where, uh, even at my current job, where a manager gave me some regretful info. Almost all the time we just spent putting something somewhere was going to have to be undone and completely done again backwards, basically. And it was just, it was the way it was. And the manager like apologized and was like, I'm sorry, guys, that just, we didn't know before when you had to do the thing, but now we know, you know, it was no one's fault. And I understand they're going, great, don't worry about it. Like, frustrating to undo all your work and redo it sure but like it's it's the job but he felt so bad about it he did it himself <laughs> because you know i he didn't expect that of me gotcha. and in that case it worked out in a, in a positive way you know right. but it, it's worked out in a very negative way too in terms mm-hmm. of like i no, just you just do your job this is the job for today and it sucks more than it did yesterday it might be better tomorrow but that's this is why you're here mm-hmm. you know and that ranges from basic responsibility to get the, get the show must go on on stage or the film must be completed in the studio to great passion that covers that whole stretch. Mm. And I'm trying to think now of anywhere I've seen that that wasn't while I was working in the theater, that mm. was on, on film, presented in another work of fiction or pseudo fiction. And I, I think I have to agree with Joel, I haven't really seen that that's the thing like the desk job I have now the best day at that job could not measure up to the worst day doing what I love doing you know like Mm -hmm. I would never say that like (laughs) this job sucks but it's the worst day is better than any other thing I get to do now like that that is unique to doing something creative I think well, and I wonder if part of it, and this is a very sort of rudimentary way of looking at it, but like the the sort of like hourly rate versus yeah, like you're doing something for the sake of an end result, like like redoing a bunch of mm-hmm. shelves or whatever is like whatever. I'm here for x amount of hours anyway. Whatever right, you tell you know, me to do, that's my job. You know, either I do the stuff or I don't do it. I get the sa- paid the same either way. Thank you. Yes. Versus, you have yeah. hit the line that delineates the difference between the basic responsibility and the passion. Yeah. Right in the theater, if I was told to undo and redo something, it was with enthusiasm because it's I it's going to make the show the better. Right. Yeah. Whereas in the bookstore, it's a sort of it's still I'm going to do it. I'm sure I'm not going to complain. That's the job. It's my basic responsibility. Yeah. But I'm not saying that I do it. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. And not because it's not a musical bookstore, but just because <laughs> there's yeah. no passion. Yeah. But yeah, you really hit the nail on the head yeah. there, Tim. And yeah. I mean, you know, and that, and that stuff I've seen with my own work too. You know, like like starting trying to start out and get a name for myself you know you take on jobs for for kind of little money but it doesn't mean that you say well i'm only getting you know two hundred dollars for this film score so i'm going to do two hundred dollars worth of work it's like 
I'm putting what probably you know other people would get paid thousands of dollars for because I want this to be the best I can make it every time, no matter what I'm getting paid. Like there's no there's no making excuses in the art field where it's like, wait a minute, audience, we know that this production isn't as great as you were expecting, but we only had a budget of five thousand, whereas on Broadway it's a hundred thousand. It's like no, like that better be a damn good fucking show, like, mm-hmm. and this better be, da- you know. And it's so yeah, it's like you. You know, every every project like that is your is your baby. You know, so you you want it to be as best as well. You know, good artist. I feel like you know there are plenty of people I'm sure who are just like, you know, oh well, I'm only getting paid for this, so I'm just gonna phone it in and <laughs> you know, get it done or whatever. But, um, but yeah, yeah, you it's definitely more end result based. You know, where it's like, I I I'm putting myself into this. You know, I I, I never put myself into my hourly. Bu- jobs you know right. it's like right. you know I'm, I'm trying to reserve as much of myself for when i get home and can actually work on the things i'm passionate about you know mm-hmm. that's the thing like with work like that you put it down at 4 30 yeah you spent all day thinking about the creative thing you do when you get home yeah. Yeah. right like that's the like stuff like that stuff you're passionate about and want to create there's no end of shift on that yeah mm-hmm. yeah that's why you're up till three in the morning you know, even though you've got to wake up at six for your other job, and it's because it's just like, no, like this is when I feel alive. This is what, mm-hmm. this is what I, you know, if, yeah, if this, if money weren't a factor, this is what I would be doing because I want to, you know, not not because I, I, I it's a job and I've been hired to do this, and, and I, I, that's almost kind of what's like misleading about that whole like, oh, I'm a professional. It's like, you know, everyone who's doing whatever stupid job they're doing could be considered a quote unquote professional, but they're not going to put that level of work into it. You know, it's. Yeah, it's because this is this is something you you pride yourself in and you're you're passionate about and you want to be doing and and it makes you feel alive as opposed to dead inside. <laughs> <laughs> the seventy fifth customer service voice phone call, <laughs> like you know, it's in terms of professionals though, there's professionalism, mm-hmm. which I think would help again. But it's the difference yeah, yeah. between where you go extra and where you do what's expected mm-hmm. and between not doing that you know like in a bookstore you have to have professionalism because you have to have professionalism you have to do your job right. you have to do yeah. it right yeah. you have to show up the books correctly yeah. you know you don't have to Alphabet. spend your spare time you know gilding the edges of the pages and adding you know encrusting jewel to the spine mm-hmm. <laughs> you know that's not but you also can't just sort of uh, shove them on the shelf know you have to just do the job just put it in the spot and for people that is their baseline for professionals Mm -hmm. their baseline is doing it right Mm -hmm. then it can ascend to doing it with passion not everything can but some things can but that just as a sort of as an execution of the responsibility for this thing other than yourself your worst is do it right you know yeah. Which isn't to say you don't make mistakes, obviously, but so so even though you know you you don't like your part time jobs and everything, and you you don't put yourself into it, that's fine. You don't have to. You just got to do it. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I think that's another part of it too. And I think we've talked about this before in other podcasts about you know the idea of art not having to serve a purpose other than be art. You know. Like at the bookstore, there's a logical reason why things have to be in order alphabetically so that customers can find them, they can get in, they can get out, they're right. happy. That, you know, mm-hmm. like with with making a movie or doing a theater production or music or whatever, like there, nothing has to be anything. 
you know, yeah. like we're, we're making things what we want them to be or, you know, n not necessarily you personally, but whoever, right. whatever the director, right. you're helping achieve the director's vision or, you I mean, know, in my case, you have designer, 600 you know. different musicals about Jesus. Right. <laughs> <laughs> because they each have a different artistic mm -hmm. end goal. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, but none of them have to be anything, you know. Right. There's no there's no logical reason, you know, and that's why nobody nobody punches in and punches in and out and says, okay, well, you're gonna come in for, you know, an eight hour shift and make this Jesus musical the most logical, you know, Jesus musical. Like, no, that's that's not how it works. It's like you you do it until it's the best that you can envision, and then you inspire other people to to help you see your vision come mm -hmm. to life and. And you, you know, you do that so that, <laughs> so that again, as we said earlier, other people will watch it and not get at all what you were trying to say. <laughs> right. Right. But that, yeah, that was captured very well in the disaster artist. That nature of both the passion and the professional duty of the mm -hmm. artist, and it was captured in a way that wasn't very heavy-handed. Because I was thinking, now I've seen it sort of in a couple of other films, but it's it's so ham-fisted. In this one. And in this one, it's effortless, it's right. In this one, you just see it. And there's just that one conversation that you mentioned about uh, why do you keep doing this? And she says, it's, you know, worse to hear is better than the best to hear. Okay. That's the only part that, like, sort of gets in your face about it. Mm -hmm. And it's the culmination of having seen all the other stuff happen. Yeah. And it's like, it's it's gone unsaid until that point. Like, mm -hmm. this is why Greg is doing it. This is why Tommy is doing it. Yeah. And she's... <laughs> She's the veteran. Like, she's yeah. the one who's been in the industry the longest, and she just fucking collapsed. Yeah. And then she stays, and then she does her part, you know? And she, she's the mediator. Mm -hmm. And I... That's oh. too. Yeah. Well, I, and I had a theory, too. Um, and, uh, you know, again, this movie has been out for a while. Not the, the disaster, disaster artist, but The Room. Like, I had a theory after watching it um, about a few of the things that seem kind of pointless and irrelevant... And I'm sure other people have had these theories too. And I mean, it's been out for long enough. But um, I think the whole breast cancer thing, my theory on that is it's this older, more experienced woman talking to, to Lisa. And Lisa's kind of got this young, oh, I don't really like him anymore. We're supposed to get married, blah, blah, blah. blah. And I, I think it was almost her way of kind of hammering home, like, hey, I have breast cancer. I'm like, I'm this old person. I, I'm, I, could, I could die very soon. Like, like, you need to get your shit together, get your priorities in order, and be like, you've got this guy who treats you great. He's, you know, he, he dotes all over you, buys you stuff, this and this and that. And, you know, you're, you're kind of messing around with like, oh, I don't know, I might this, you know. And it's like, someday you're going to be old and maybe alone and maybe you'll get breast cancer and you'll, you'll have nothing to show for it. You know, so I think... Your ungrateful daughter won't care. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. So I think it was, that, that was a little bit of kind of maybe the connection I was starting, trying to make in my own head of like, okay, I can see... Where, where that comes in um, an, another scene that I thought of that that kind of made sense when I tried to make it is um, the one where he goes to buy the flowers and, um, and yeah and, I, and I've talked about this with other people I think it was, I was telling my wife about this and, and I'm explaining it to her and it was just like it was so unnecessary like he could have shown up with flowers no one would have said well wait a minute where did he get those fucking flowers I, this bullshit it's like they didn't have to show a scene of him buying flowers but I think it was the fact that, like, when he walks in and the, the, the when the shop owner's like, oh, oh, hi, Tommy. Like, oh, you're my favorite customer. Like, he's trying to set himself up to be this you. hero, you know? <laughs> and that, that whole thing of, like, you know, like, no, you're the villain. Like, you look like a villain. He's like, no, I'm hero. And, and I think it's because he was trying to prove to the world, like, look, everybody likes this guy. You know, like, he's a great guy. He is great to his girlfriend. He's got this best friend, and they play football, and it's great, and it's fun. So I think that was, like, in his mind, an idea of, 
you know, it's not just about like, oh, well, he's nice to his girlfriend. His girlfriend loves him, but cheats on him anyway. It's like, yeah, everybody thinks he's great. He's got this little kid he helps out. And even, even the shop owner that, you know, he's either, you know, only in there a few times but makes such a good impression or he's in there buying flowers for his girlfriend all the time because he's such a great boyfriend, you know. And it was, it was this, I think, really little piece that maybe in his mind, you know, maybe he extrapolated all that and maybe that's what I'm doing. Or maybe it was, you know, completely pointless and I'm, you know, looking for things that aren't there. Um, but again, you know, that's the point of art, you know. I'm, you know, seeing things that are, you know, trying to make meaning and put things together for myself. But, um, but that was one of those things where it was like, oh, like, yeah, I, like, I get it. Like, the scene is awkward and, you know, like, too quick and, like, too, you know, like, the, the way stuff, you know, I felt like I was watching Gilmore Girls for, like, 30 seconds where the dialogue just, like, bounces back and forth where it's, like, it's rehearsed and everyone, okay, you say this and as soon as I say this, you say this. But it was, like, maybe that's why it was there. Like, it was his little way of inserting this, like, yeah, everyone loves him. You know, this is, this is what I want to make you believe about this guy before his life falls apart because everyone betrays him. You can see the basic skeletal framework of, of an actual typical movie. storytelling. <laughs> <laughs> it's all there. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. show us main character, establish his life that's awesome, have things start going bad, have things have this collapse increase in speed, have him be left alone with nothing to give up. Mm -hmm. You know? Basic bullet points mm -hmm. for a compelling story. I found today actually I was looking at some other stuff online and I found we know that I we love talked that. about the watches love that the script there's a script in its entirety it's and it's for the play okay and the opening scene in that is not the opening scene in the movie oh it starts with Johnny and Lisa getting up and they're fighting in the morning. And it automatically establishes like this tension between them in their relationship. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting. I want to. I'm gonna have to read it slowly because it's in why so speak. So uh -huh. it, it's it's trying to get used to that way of reading. But it's I'm really interested to see how that flows if it does at all, and see what was omitted and how how that narrative is built out when you're thinking about it for the stage. Mm -hmm. um, we should just, put on a production of that. Yeah, radio play, like we said in the the room episode. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you will check your Facebook Messenger and say that I, we do radio play. We do great American radio play. Yes, <laughs> it's happening. It's real American radio play. <laughs> for, for real Hollywood radio. <laughs> as much as we like to ridicule too, I hope it would be evident that this has brought us a lot of joy. No kidding. Yeah. Not sure. just the disaster artist, but also the room. Yep. Yeah. They both have. As, as begrudgingly as I say that. <laughs> it's it, it <laughs> totally a, a lot of fulfillment to us. Time well spent. Yeah. I mean, I've had this songify the room song stuck in my head for 48 hours. Like, it's ridiculous. <laughs> like, it's in my head. Like, and watching all the behind the scenes stuff and honest trailers and screen uh, rant cinema sins. Like, mm -hmm. It's like in How my many brain. famous movie YouTube channels can we list in yeah, 10 right. seconds? <laughs> don't, don't. Um, <laughs> it's just, it's, it's a film to think about. Yeah. And there are a lot of films out there that are thought-provoking. This one's really latched onto us. More so than probably anything else we've watched so far, which is On really podcast, interesting. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Although, admittedly, outside of 
outside of maybe Earth kind of starts seeing maybe Prime. The films haven't necessarily been particularly philosophically thought provoking. Mm-hmm. You know, they've been a little more straightforward. And any film can be thought provoking. Skyfall's sci-fi, and it was about war, or Godzilla, and it was about technology, and you know, every all these films can be. But it's sort of that there's a point. Habituated point, like I'm making a point, a point in the film that mm. is the one that provides the seed for discussion, whereas the room itself, as a thing that exists, provides a seed for discussion, as well as every scene within the film providing their own seed for discussion. The it's fact that it exists, how it came to exist, mm-hmm. yeah. and all the components of it as it exists now. Mm-hmm. So, in every sense of the word, it's thought provoking. In, in a way that most films aren't. Because when you think about how this scene came together, how was it written this way? How was it shot this way? How did people wrap their heads around saying these lines this way? And then why are people going back to watch the scene over and over and over again? Yeah. It's crazy that that amount of head work doesn't go into any other scene in any other movie, at least for me. I don't. But it, but the, it, it can't because the other films. You know this the scene makes sense. You know <laughs> yeah. why it's there. You know what it's There's doing. There's the shorthand of to do. Yeah. You know, and then so here you can just look at the one scene and you can say it doesn't make sense in the film. Then you can say the film doesn't make sense. Then you can say the film getting made doesn't make sense. Then you can say this scene getting made during the making of the film doesn't make sense. And me like watching what the you were saying, project. every piece of it is something that provides thought just by its very nature. Just to contemplate it is to ask questions. Is you know, whereas lots of other films, just by the fact that they're understandable, makes them less prone to that sort of thought. It's it's interesting, like you bringing up the idea of something not making sense. Um, it made me think of. Uh, I remember someone saying <laughs> something one time. The idea of sense. What is sense? Yeah, well, well, yeah. Well, like, I remember someone saying something about the idea of like like miracles are like I forget how it was put, but basically like the the idea of a miracle is self defeating because a miracle is something. That, that can't exist, but once it happens, it can exist, so it's no longer a miracle. So it's almost like that, like like saying something doesn't make sense, like, well, you can say that, but if it exists in reality, then it does make sense, otherwise it wouldn't exist. So it's like almost like, it's almost like this movie has like altered reality around it and created this like, this bubble where it's like, you know, bending the laws of physics. I mean, that's <laughs> that sense, you know? everything like, about <laughs> the room serves as a, that you might ask a question about, can be the thing where you say, really, and that's what you're stuck on? You know, like, um, happened with another film I watched called Rubber about a sentient tire that goes around murdering people. Oh, yeah. And at the beginning <laughs> of the film they say to us, the point is there is no point. And at some point during the film, everyone I was in the room with went, that, like, you know, what, why did the, the chair fall like that? Did gravity go weird? And we just look at them and go, that's the thing you're confused about. I want to see that. About a tire is it worth blowing people's heads up. <laughs> yes, let's do a podcast episode. Um <laughs> And the room is similar in that, like, if you want to ask, why was that? Why did the fall look like that? Why did the football get thrown like that? Why, why are did there anything? spoons in yeah. the... Of all the things, you know. Whereas lots of other films, even when they have a weird scene, it usually makes sense that you can say, what, that, that's the part, why, mm-hmm. the weird bit. Because the rest of it is just accepted and blaring and something that you just take without question. Yeah. And if, if nothing else... The thing that it has going for it is, yeah, is that it's consistent. It is its own world, and it it it, it, it follows all its own rules, whatever whatever they are, you know. 
Yeah, like like there's like there's no one thing. It's not like when you watch other films that like, oh, this film is flawless except for this one little thing right. that bugs me. It's like the whole thing is is like that sort of hot mess. So it's like, well, it it works because the whole thing is a hot mess. It's consistent. The you know the the rules it follows its own rules. The the rules that it sets up and yeah, in that sense, almost creates its own its own world. You know, so within its world, it makes complete sense. Like every piece of it makes sense with every other piece. Um, it's kind of like what I um uh, <laughs> I remember watching an episode of Frasier. And uh, the idea of eclecticism was was made sense to me, where they're talking about like all of the the furniture in um, in Fraser's apartment, and you know he's saying how it's 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 eclectic, like it all matches because none of it matches, you know. Right. Whereas yes. if you have two pieces yes. that go together, and then it looks it looks off, but because every piece is from like a different style or genre or whatever, like yes, this functions as a whole because there's a, a an equal amount of unmatchiness. And that's kind of almost like what the room is. It's an equal amount of awkwardness layered throughout the whole thing. So you're like, yes, across the board, this 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 works. This is consistently yeah. I like consistent. That yes, of the room. <laughs> I like that metaphor of the room of the yeah. furniture in the room. I mean, right. yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> if I had every piece of furniture in this living room matching except the coffee table, you flip the coffee table and you go, "Where's your coffee table? Did you lose the original? Mm-hmm. What's going on? Yeah. Why the hell is this here?" Right. But instead, you have the way this room is actually set up, which is an amalgamation of arbitrary things my roommate and I have accumulated from some indeterminable number of sources. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. You don't focus on any one piece in the room and go, huh. You just go, oh, yeah, look, room. Yeah. Yeah. Which, can we, can we talk about that? Why, why is it called the room? Have we have we discussed that yet? Has that been discussed by other fans of it? Do I'm we, sure. do we yeah, have t- an answer? Tommy, I, they asked him about why they called it that. Yeah. It's just, be, I, I, he was saying that it, it, it ha- well, I can't do an impression of it, and I don't think I'm going to accurately portray what he was saying. Um, but the idea that it's a meeting space, it's this comfortable place that Tommy exists in, and it's it's this um, representation of his world. Okay. It's this controlled space into which Lisa and Greg and all these people come, and it's, it's communal, and it's family, and like people are hooking up on the floor there's BJ's going around like things are like he doesn't say this but I'm saying like this is it's a communal space it, it's this where That's Tommy's brilliant. world is, is happening and then it's slowly getting eaten away by the people who betray him in his safe space That's right good. exactly your home you, you make your home this is yours and the room or rooms of your home are the physical manifestation of that of what you built for yourself mm. And yet, you, other people in their lives and such come through these spaces, always. Everybody's life, part of your life. That's that's brilliant, actually. That's yeah. wonderful. And it's I'm just now thinking of this. We see Tommy and Lisa hook up on the couch. We see Tommy and Lisa hook up on the stairs. We see Tommy and Lisa hook up in the bed, and then Greg hooks up with Lisa on the couch, on the stairs, and then in the bed finally. So it's like this almost. Okay. God, I hate that I'm liking this film now. God, what happened? <laughs> oh, it's such a visceral reaction before. Been like, but this <laughs> Greg and Lisa's us. <laughs> violating the sanctity of their relationship moves up into the room. Mm-hmm. It, it, it like progresses and eats its way from the outside into the the communal space, up the stairs, and into their bed. Mm-hmm. God damn it. <laughs> 
It's just there is. We talked about this during the Room podcast. There is brilliance here. There's something there. Elegance here and great storytelling in places, despite itself. Yeah. You know, just somewhere yeah. in you know somewhere. It's Lots of places in the transition didn't yeah. didn't go so well. Well, it's like for every great strength, he has a great flaw, and they're both equally represented. Like for like the 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 writing of the story, like the outline is is great, but then the dialogue is what ruins that. And then, like I, yeah, like, like I said, his directing, like the way he was able to pull performances out of people that they kind of show that. And, and you can see that, like like Greg, like Greg's is really good, like in, in, the, in the old woman. And, and Lisa, in her own way, is like really good. But but then, like, he gets into act, and that's kind of what pulls it down in that sense in the performance. And so it's just like, yeah, it's almost like, yeah, like, like you said before, like stay in your lane. Like these are the things you're good at. Do those. Find someone else to do the other things. Like like work with someone else to write the dialogue. Okay, cool. Now that you've got this, you direct it, but get a bunch of people who are professional trained actors and let them do all the acting. And then, you know, all of a sudden, boom, it's this it would be this like perfect thing possibly, but this is getting me in a real heady space about like the arbitrary nature of what we find as valuable in film. Because what we have problem with the dialogue is it's stilted and it's unnatural and it doesn't seem like humans would say these things. Right. But why does that? Why is that what we want from film? Thinking. Thinking. Oh my God! I know I've talked about this to you guys a lot outside of the podcast, but for the love of God, films are subjective, and and films that get popular, almost anything that gets popular, it's this group of people who share feelings about it, and suddenly everyone else is wrong. Mm. No. This is not objective. So, you know, if I'm going to put on The Phantom Menace and pour a drink and just smile and laugh at this cool action movie all night, that doesn't make me wrong, you know? And you can sit there and talk about all the ways it doesn't make a traditional good film or, or, you know, and it's not art, it doesn't live up to Star Wars. Sure, whatever. Maybe you're even right, but it's irrelevant because what matters is that I had a good time watching it. End of sentence. And the nature of of uh, I lost the word Criti- critics criticism the nature of criticism is to you know to measure something that's inherently subjective against some sort of objective scale or you know to try to find some object objectivity to describe it with to try to find something you can use to explain it in a relatable way because what what's challenging to me now as I'm thinking about it is that the story of this film was conveyed to us. Mm-hmm. We're having the conversation about it now. Mm-hmm. Despite it defying all of the logical arbitrary constructions of yes. what we've come to accept as what films do. Yeah. Right? We want to watch something that mimics real life but heightens it in such a way but not too much so that it's still believable we can suspend our disbelief and we have a satisfying conclusion. Mm-hmm. And admittedly these arbitrary rules are there for good reason they're, they're, they're popular and successful for good reason they work but they aren't end all be all you know they aren't completely set in stone rock solid and we'll see this happen sometimes with one or two aspects of certain films you know Tarantino's non-linear storytelling uh, you know where, where certain parts of his films take place before parts that we already saw or what have you you know he defies a pretty standard rule there but it's become its own rule that you can tell these out-of-order stories. Plenty, 
Well, number of other film makers have done that. You know, Memento, great. But that was that's a standard. You know, don't confuse your audience. Thank well, you. No, I'm going to put this mm. confusing thing in, and it works. People love it. Mm. Waiting for Godot is a great example of that. Like it's always resists its its inertia. The whole thing is this anticipation with no payoff. The characters don't do anything. It's the play in which nothing happens twice. <laughs> <laughs> that's Only the twice. But that's the thing. It's just it. it Resists this tradition. I mean, the room might be the best postmodern film <laughs> ever. God Ooh. damn it! I one eighty'd so hard on this. <laughs> like I'm getting whiplash that's, from it. That's what's beautiful about about art. We your your lenses have changed. The film has not changed. It's the same film. You're, you're right. And I don't know if I, would I have come to this having not seen Disaster Artist is really an interesting. Or if we weren't podcasting about it, like this epiphany, you, I mean, you heard it here first, folks. This is live epiphany. I, yeah, these conversations are only really happening because we're podcasting, right? We wouldn't have otherwise got together a couple times. I mean, we wouldn't talk about as much it as we can, sure, but yeah, to talk about it as thoroughly, you know. Yeah. Well, I don't think we would have watched the movie in the first place if we were talking. Never mind, like not talking about it. Like I don't think we would have watched it. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, yeah. Thank God for the podcast. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. taught us a lot. I'm going to need to just sit over in this corner and <laughs> challenge all of my preconceived notions. And Oh, wait, Star Wars is tomorrow, so I'm going to have to reset real quick. Right. <laughs> so I can yeah. hate the thing that all Star Wars fans go, love. Go pick a bottle of liquor over the kitchen. Cognac and coffee is wearing off and I'm getting real existential. <laughs> is this like my uh, <laughs> philosophical tangent we have gotten? About salt shakers and their ability to perceive reality. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry to bring that back up. I don't actually remember that. I think I repressed it. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> yeah. What a moment that was. <laughs> I'm just, I'm glad we're doing this podcast. Yeah. Man. If, speaking of which, if you all have friends who have the common interest, make something out of it. Listeners, make a podcast. Or just make a, a, a scheduled thing to just come together and, and discuss. Because that was the original purpose of Movie Mumble, was for us to share our favorite, and not always favorite, just to share films with each other. And then to get more out of the films by sharing our experiences. That's crazy. And by God, have we done that today. <laughs> and this is a film like we all decided. Like, it wasn't somebody's pick. Mm -hmm. It was like, hey, let's watch this thing together. Yeah. Spurred on by current events. Yeah. Which won't be so current by the time this airs, but maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Pretty well, I think we're doing it Sunday. Yeah, Sunday. So, oh, so yeah. this will probably be the, the most current movie. episode yeah. of Movie Mumble. Yeah. We're yeah. topical AF now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hashtag disaster artist. <laughs> hashtag, hashtag. Hashtag, hashtag. <laughs> hashtag robot dogs. Tim's <laughs> <laughs> oh, favorite the line in the whole line in the movie. <laughs> You gotta, you gotta do it in his voice. <laughs> Don't look at robot crab. He's shy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, from the from the disaster artist. Beautiful. <sighs> that was that was beautiful. All of that. What a peak of a discussion. What a culmination. Is there anything else you all have been thinking about? Anything that's been on your minds? I I mean, what are the things? How do we follow that up? Yeah, yeah. like I. I, I sort of had um, one other 
it was weird because yeah. I had at one point I remember watching the Disaster Artist and and sort of thinking about the podcast and like what what's my contribution going to be and one of the things I thought of it at some point I was just like this is my favorite movie and I knew it wasn't going to actually be my favorite movie but my favorite customer to have it yeah <laughs> to have it sort of just jump out at me and like and like hit me in so many places and and in so many ways you know and I think I don't I don't know if everybody sees it this way but for me there was a great part of it where it's just like like I am I am Tommy like this is this is this is my biography you know where and and not to say that like people have outright told me like oh you're not good enough you'll never make anything but but you know actions kind of can tend to speak louder than words or maybe I should say lack of actions like there's there, there are very few people in my life who have who mm. I, I've known that haven't been supportive which which creates this 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 other thing it's like if so many people you know tell me like oh yeah I really like your music for me it's good like like why isn't it happening for me you know and it's so there is this sense of like you know um, in, a, in a more roundabout way and almost in some ways more frustrating because you can't I can't point my finger at anybody and say oh like this person is who shot me down and told me I was terrible so it's because of them that I've lost all confidence and, and it's like it's no it's it's um, it's almost like in the fountainhead when uh, I forget the, the the writer's name but the one who does like the articles or whatever and he decides that he is not going to mention Howard Rourke at all because like no press is is worse than bad press and that's how he's gonna try to bury Howard Rourke is by, by never mentioning his name and like I sometimes feel like it's almost that type of situation whereas like with Tommy like he he got so much criticism in it and it kind of did beat down on him so many times and you know luckily he had Greg there to kind of be like no like pinky swore we're gonna get through this we're gonna encourage everybody and it and it's a weird thing because like I feel like I have a lot of Greg's in my life you know people who are very supportive and encouraging yet somehow like there's this sort of um, this invisible force that, that I some kind of feel like well what what is it am I not doing and 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 I almost become my worst enemy where it's like you know I end up being the one kind of telling myself like no like like Judd Apatow like I, I'm my own Judd Apatow like you are not going to make it not in a million years and not after that like this will never happen for you and and it was it was so weird to kind of to see that and like I said I mean there was a, a sense of realization that like yeah like what what are you bitching about nobody has been turning you down telling you you're terrible like where are you getting this from but 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 yeah that it, I wonder if it's almost and <laughs> maybe this is me feeling sorry for myself but it's almost worse that you you can't look at anyone else except yourself in the mirror and be like you know this this is your fault like this is the person who's who's beating you down this is this is the this is the, you're tearing me apart tim you know it's, it's my it's myself you know and like i'm my own lisa i'm my own you know producer and so that was one of the things that really for me really kind of like uh as i said earlier in that same way with uh, uh mr holland's opus you know where it's like you know for a while that was like uh one of the saddest movies to me because it was just like oh god i hate this like i see this is the way my life could go and watching the disaster artist it was a bit of that you know like having this passion for wanting to do music for movies and, and even in college in my undergrad there was a part where i was i was trying to make my own movie i would you know and i wonder like how many of my friends who were there for that part who were gonna like look at this and be like oh my god that's tim here's the guy running around trying to write and direct and act in his own film and get his friends together to work with him on it and and looking back it's like it, it kind of collapsed not because the people working with me were, were shitty i think it was just like some of the key actors had kind of left and everything but it, it 
it somehow just fell apart. And and again, there's no one I can point to and blame and be like, oh, this is the person who fucked everything up. And and in that sense too, maybe I'm also my own Tommy because there's a point where you see, you know, he's the one going off the rails, you know, and um. So it, it, it for me it was a, yeah it was this really interesting mirror to look at and be like okay like what what are the things Tommy's doing to kind of sabotage himself and what are the things that I'm doing and then what are the things that because then the movie gets made so what what is it okay pay attention to what it is that makes him push through and finish this thing and get it made so that you know uh, again it's not the fame that he wanted or expected but it, it's some kind of fame and you know to push through to that you know and. Um, so that was it was it was a really interesting weird experience for for me and, and even you know like uh, you know <laughs> this is the time where I bring up the matrix like <laughs> like that definitely had this this consciousness altering effect on me you know for various other reasons but this like this movie kind of did that to me too it was just like whoa like you know I, fe I felt like Neo in front of the mirror like poking his finger into the mirror and it turns liquid and wobbles and crawls up his arm like like I felt like that watching the disaster artist and that that was actually that's probably why I said this is my favorite movie because I haven't felt that since I watched the matrix for the first time where I felt like my reality was being altered and and I was looking at myself and the way I view the world and, and reality and my place in it I hadn't looked at it that way since the matrix and I was just like shit like okay like this you know and, and it fits with that whole idea we were talking about before about it, it being its own world and and its own um you know having its own rules and like it all makes sense because none of it makes sense but it all not makes sense together therefore it makes sense and it was just shit so that was my other big takeaway yeah <laughs> that was a, a beautiful excellent takeaway yeah yeah well done so, so I, I don't know where to go from there so <laughs> you don't have to. Um, we'll make a really hollywood movie no one knows about <laughs> but i don't have a bottomless bank account <laughs> And that, I think that was the thing, too, that I kept thinking, like, oh, yeah, but, like, fuck, he has all this money. If I had all that money, I could do it. It was like, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> I, I really liked that they showed why Zero could be human and insecure. Mm. Yeah. Because I got the sense even from... Even as he was distanced from everybody else, yeah. as this otherworldly figure, he, he still, was very well humanized. Yeah, and he, he almost gives up. And that's something that, like, with the mystique of that figure and the, the, all the things that surround the room, I never imagined he had that kind of emotional response to it. It's mm -hmm. like, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to push ahead. It's just – and he really needed Greg. Mm -hmm. Like you said, like, it just was – I was – I don't want to sully what you just said because you no, – it was awesome. I just was thinking that it was really cool to see mm -hmm. why Zero just kind of human in that way. He's so inhuman in so many ways. But to see him falter and want to give up and not, maybe it's not worth it, mm -hmm. right? Like he yeah. said, and how many times has everybody felt like that? And yeah. it, it, for both of them, it partly just because of the nature of acting, but it touched on that the most disheartening can be not when there's some great obstacle or villain, but when nothing happens. That can be the toughest. Yeah. At least you had something to fight mm -hmm. against, right? Because yeah. every time you go into an audition, you know, someone shows up and crumbles up your your script and punches you in the mouth so you can't speak your lines properly and then walks out and flips you the bird. It's the same guy every time. You know, you can say, fuck this guy. Yeah. Right? He's, He's sabotaging me. Yeah. He's a problem, you know, and you have a thing to focus on to fix, mm -hmm. you know. Next time you, you, you bring your taser, <laughs> you, right. you know, look for him quickly, you know. Yeah. But when you when that doesn't happen and you just keep going, bang your head against the wall, just nothing. 
nothing bad, nothing good. Mm-hmm. Just nothing changes. That is wearing and trying mm-hmm. and disheartening in a way that single bad events aren't. They can't be. And that came through not just in terms of the, oh yeah, you know, the standard story of all the people who move to LA to be actors and just go to auditions forever and never get a bite. Like, but in a, in a much broader sense in terms of just at a lifelong level. And for Tommy, he, in making his film, he thinks he hopes he's found a way around that denial. And then we had, but of course it wasn't in this case. <laughs> I also thought of a, another way that I'm like Tommy. Mm-hmm. Where it's like hanging out with a bunch of 20 something year olds being like, yeah, I'm your same year. <laughs> <laughs> what year were you born? Same year you were born. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wish I had that level of mystique where no one knew how old I actually was. Mm-hmm. I wish I hadn't told everyone when I moved out here, I'm from Rhode Island. Where are you from? We can start know. right now. <laughs> any of us. Right, yeah. Everyone we meet, just. The artist <laughs> formerly known as Tim. Right. <laughs> yeah. Give everyone a different answer, everyone a different state, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. From Rhode Island, from Connecticut, from Florida, mm-hmm. from Arkansas. Yeah. People from Washington. <laughs> this was an excellent podcast, I really think. Yeah. Energy, energy really flowed. Mm-hmm. Conversations spread. It seems very nice. This was a great, ex- an exemplary movie mumble, I think, mm-hmm. you know? Well, uh, I guess the big question then, what film is going to be the next one that spurs this passion in us the way the disaster artist did? Uh, like you said earlier, Tim, I, I haven't come out of that way feeling as fully impacted by a film. I haven't come out of a theater feeling as fully mm-hmm. impacted by a film as I have by the disaster artist in quite a while. And it's certainly shown through in our podcast tonight. Is there anything else anybody wants to bring up or... Uh, do we, we want to try to call the number on the billboard and see if anyone answers? I think that would be a great way to, to close it out. What do you think? Let's give it a shot. So wait, can I... Someone... Oh, shit. Here I am picking up my phone, and these two have already got it started out between them. Mm-hmm. Useless as always. Jeez, guys. Thanks. <laughs> I need to go to a rooftop with my best friend and complain about my, no, nothing happening and no one, no one appreciating me. And then make a movie about this podcast. <laughs> what will we call it? Mumble art? <laughs> Incoherent? Incoherent. All right. Are we ready? Sequel to Storm Coming. All right. There right, you go. Go ahead. Hit send. Oh, God. It's real. Hi. Why is Yeah, of course it is. Oh, well, (laughs) worth a shot. Can I just say, I almost am glad that that happened rather than, like, actually, well, what would we say? Like, right. It'd be like, is this Tommy? (laughs) I mean, it'd be kind of cool to be like, yeah, we saw Disasters. We're doing a podcast about it. Anything you want to say to the viewers, to the listeners out there? Play football. See if you win. (laughs) 
We should <laughs> we should have said we were gonna call it and just had you do the voice. <laughs> yeah, uh, we just go in the other room. Well I'll just uh, I'll cut it. Hollywood movie. <laughs> I'll cut it where the dial tone comes oh, up and then no. you just <laughs> come in. No, no, even the real result. Uh, that was great. That yeah. was perfect. That was phenomenal. We're not gonna get any any copyright mm. trouble with yeah. that. No, not that we necessarily would. Right. So. <laughs> Inherent <So>. paranoia. <laughs> I was so nervous, <laughs> right? Like it was real. Oh, yeah. like, oh, oh my god, god what, what are we gonna do? What if fucking Franco <laughs> answers? What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I think that's actually a really great way to end the podcast. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for a nice. Uh, oh, well, Joel just went gasp. What if, like, the end of the podcast is just leave a message to beep beep and then send to the music? Like that's Wait, the what, end what? of our podcast is us uh, calling the number and then like going to message. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well, Potentially, so, I'll I'll mess with it yeah. and see. That'd be good. Well, the other thing too is like I so mean, if there you're is hearing that... this section of the podcast yeah. that didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the best thing about podcasts is saying you're going to edit something out and then and never not. doing. Yeah. It. <laughs> <laughs> like from your perspective, Mr. Editor, not so fun for us. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, as, as the podcasts no, I, I listen to do it all the time. The Weekly yeah. Planet, especially. I, I love it when they do that. Well, thank you all very much for joining us for this special episode. Special. Episode movie mumble. And, uh, mumble. Uh, I'm doing this thing now. All right. <laughs> doing this thing now. Uh, where's my Where's my ridiculous gun in mouth scene? And the podcast, that's what you're gonna hear. And it's like, bang, clatter. And then it's it's gonna be the end credits music from the room. And that's gonna be the podcast. Thank you all for listening. Uh, I'm not saying it again. That's not Tim Gary. Thank you all very much for listening. We hope you'll continue to listen to Movie Mumble. And uh, I don't think we have any other special episodes. Special episodes. Lined up after this one offhand. So mm. you'll <clears throat> probably hear whatever our next regular episode or recap mm. is. Regular episode. Recap. Recap. <laughs> I think this uh, is actually our last one that's going to be released for the year, right? Because I think oh, yes. for that's 2017, this will be our last one. one. Mm-hmm. And then we'll start fresh. First one of cycle two in in January. Yep. Which is Jeez, on Bob. Her Majesty's Secret Service. <laughs> Tim did an amazing theme oh, song. Yes. I'm so oh, excited thank for you guys you. to hear it. Yeah, I forgot. I did that so long ago because we're so ahead on the, uh-huh. the ones we're recording. It's yeah. like that's right. Yeah. Yeah. For those that. of you who don't already know or haven't picked up, Tim wrote us a fantastic movie mumble theme, which is what you hear in the intro episode and in these. Special episodes. Special uh, episodes. And in the recaps. <laughs> Recap. Fuck you. <laughs> and, um, oh, you're at my mind. Preemptive whispering. For each of the, the regular episodes, Tim reflavors his theme based on the film we watched. And it comes out phenomenally. For James Bond and for Godzilla in particular, just astounding. So please be sure to come by January and listen to that. Tim did a wonderful job. Yes, please. And if uh, if that's good enough, maybe you'll stick around and listen to the rest of us chatter away. <laughs> uh, have a good night. Bye. Bye. Bye.